Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So I am a voracious reader. Just ask my husband how many boxes of books he's hauled each time we've moved, and we've moved a lot. And that's after I clean off my shelves and donate a whole bunch to local libraries. I love books. I love how they feel. I love how they smell. I know I'm weird. I love getting lost in the stories. I love seeing my shelves just bursting at the seams with stories that I've read and loved and will read again and again and again. When I fell in love with one particular book, I bought no less than three copies, one on Kindle, one physical copy from my bookshelf, and one lend-out copy. Because when I love a book, I want to share it. But inevitably, something always happens to the books that I lend out. This one came back stained with leftover Chinese food. True story. It still smells like lo mein. I love, love books. What I don't really like is when they take my favorite book and make it into a movie. It never, ever lives up to my expectations. I see, I see the trailer. My first instinct is to get really excited because this is just one more way to experience one of my favorite stories. And then I get nervous. Who are they going to cast? What are they going to have to leave out or change in order to cut a 450-page book into a 90-minute movie? Still, each time I go to the theater, buy all my favorite movie snacks. I'm not a chips and dip person, Jay. I'm, I'm a Sour Patch Kids or Snow Caps person. I try to make them last longer than the trailer. It doesn't always work. And I sit down and I hope that this movie is going to be the one. The movie that is going to make this book come perfectly to life. And then the whole time I'm sitting there watching the movie, muttering, that's not how it happened in the book. That's not how this was supposed to go. One book, Hollywood changed the time period so drastically that for me, it ruined the entire believability of the story premise. I've been boycotting that movie since 2002. Another, they completely changed the ending and had the other sister die. I was so upset. I left a review on Netflix back when they still sent out DVDs. Uh, to warn other unsuspecting bookworms what they were in for. Another series left out an entire story arc about a particular type of elf. And if you know who Winky is, you know what I'm talking about. So it's safe to say that while there are a great many movies that are made from books that I actually have 
enjoyed and even seen multiple times, not one movie adaptation has 100% lived up to its book. I tried to get a t-shirt that said the book was better in time for Sunday service. You know, I thought that would have been perfect, but I'm always left muttering, that's not how this was supposed to go. And I feel that way about life sometimes, too. I create this internal story about how something's going to work. And then I live through the actual experience or the actual season of life. And I'm left there muttering, well, that's not how this was supposed to go. Perfect example, uh, all of 2020 so far. <laughs> Since about March, y'all, this is not how this was supposed to go. I mean, you've got, you've got graduates from kindergarten to PhD who missed major milestone events, ceremonies, celebrations. We have grandparents who haven't been able to see their grandkids in person in ages. Anticipated trips and vacations have been canceled. Maybe you lost a job or your hours were reduced and that's had a major negative impact on your finances. Relationships have been under a lot of stress during this season. They've been tested and some haven't survived. We've experienced great loss and because of gathering restrictions, we haven't been able to mourn with our loved ones. But as much as we feel this way about 2020, we're not the first to feel this way. Like, this isn't how life was supposed to go. This has happened countless times in the Bible. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Job lost his kids, his riches, his health, his friends. Even the disciples watching Jesus be crucified. That's not how this was supposed to go. When life doesn't go the way we expect or hope, though, the challenge is to check where our focus is. Is it on our situation or is it on God? Got a really good example of somebody's life not going the way it was expected to and needing to check where that focus was placed. And that's retold in the book of Esther, which is the story that we're going to be looking at today. As you turn to Esther in your Bibles or on your Bible app, I want to make an interesting observation that the book of Esther actually doesn't ever reference God by name. But as the story unfolds, we can see God's hand working in every situation. So we're going to start this book right here, like any good story should start. Once upon a time, there was a Persian king named Xerxes. Now Xerxes reigned over 127 provinces stretching from modern-day India all the way to Ethiopia. And one day, Xerxes decided to throw a party. 
I like this story already. At this party, Xerxes wanted to show off how rich he was. So this party not only lasted for six months, yo, where do I sign up for, to party for half a year, right? But it featured special royal colors. Each attendant had an individually unique gold cup. It's a lot of people, that's a lot of cups. Six months of partying? This guy did not use red solo cups, let me tell you. And his wife, Queen Vashti, threw a party for the women, too. Now, this also shows off just how rich the king was because he could afford to throw two major shindigs at the same time. And so for his party, Xerxes told his servants to let the people have as much wine as they wanted, which, of course, will lead to a lot of really good decisions, right? <laughs> so let's see what happened. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven men who attended him to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. So we've got King Xerxes. He's throwing this massive party. He's trying to show everybody how rich and powerful and great he is, and his own wife won't obey him. So now he's upset, on top of being a little bit tipsy, and he turns and asks his advisors what he should do. And let's see what they said. Memucan answered the king and his nobles, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Medea will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So if it please the king, we suggest you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. That's harsh, man. Look, I, <laughs> I accidentally killed one of Nick's plants last week while he was gone. Sorry, babe. Uh, and he was miffed, and he had every right to be. But he didn't send me packing just because I don't have a green thumb. Thank goodness. This would be a completely different sermon. <laughs> I've got to imagine that as poor Vashti packed her bags, she was thinking to herself, well, that's not how this was supposed to go. And eventually, Xerxes calms down, and he realizes what he's done. Uh, he's now without a queen. 
he might have even started thinking, wait a minute, that's not how this was supposed to go. So now he's in a quandary. How does a rich, powerful king find himself a new wife? Traditionally, the kings of Persia only married wives from the seven most important families in Persia. But Xerxes' advisors suggested something a little different, his own personal way to swipe right on the girl he liked best. Let's see what the advisors suggested. In Esther 2, 3, and 4, they say, Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring beautiful women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. And now we finally meet the heroine of our story, Esther. Esther was a lovely, young Jewish orphan living in exile in Persia with her older cousin, Mordecai. Now, she'd probably spent her girlhood imagining someday marrying a good, Torah-following Jewish man, building a home and a family with him, raising beautiful Jewish children, and teaching them about their heritage. And then her parents died. That's not how this was supposed to go. And she's in exile in a foreign land. That's not how this was supposed to go. And she's incredibly lovely, so she is chosen, along with many other young ladies, to join the king's harem. Now, now let me be clear about something. If the king does not choose her to be queen after they spend the night together, she doesn't get to go home. She doesn't get to marry a nice Jewish boy and raise a family. She stays in the harem for the rest of her life. And if she pleased the king a little bit, he might request to spend some time with her again. Or he might not. Uh, that's really not how this was supposed to go, right? Mordecai has already warned Esther not to tell anyone she's Jewish. Jewish. So she keeps this quiet. Meanwhile, she's at the palace getting these top-notch beauty treatments. And Mordecai, who is some level of royal official, hangs out around the palace to keep an ear to the ground and protect his young cousin. Then something happens that I'm sure Esther never dreamed of as a little girl. When he meets her, King Xerxes likes Esther so much that he puts the crown on her head and declares her queen instead of Vashti. And then he throws another party. This seems like a really good place to just tack on, and they lived happily ever after, right? Maybe life didn't work out the way Esther had initially planned, but she's a queen, she's married to a king, she's living in a palace, they're partying, what's not to like, right? The story doesn't end there. King Xerxes has another royal official named Haman. 
Haman has just received a big promotion from the king, and he thinks he's pretty hot stuff, especially because the king himself tells the other officials to give Haman special honors. Except there's one official who won't bow down to Haman. You guessed it, Mordecai. Now, we don't know specifically why Mordecai wouldn't bow down. It could be for his own religious reasons. Maybe Haman didn't really deserve the honor he received, and so this was Mordecai's way of protesting. The only reason that Mordecai gives is that he is a Jew. Well, when Haman finds this out, he is not happy. He is so not happy, in fact, that he doesn't want to just punish Mordecai. He wants to kill every single Jew in all the countries that Xerxes rules. So he goes to the king. Now watch this particular brand of politicking. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. The king said the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. Look at how crafty this dude is. He doesn't even specify who the people are. And he definitely makes it sound like he's trying to help the king out. Why wouldn't Xerxes agree with his exalted royal official? In fact, after the proclamation is distributed, Haman and Xerxes are so pleased they sit down and have a drink together. Meanwhile, the Jews are reading this news proclamation that on a specific day down the road, it's open season on them. The citizens are encouraged to kill all men, women, and children of Jewish descent and take all their possessions. You can just imagine them all sitting around looking at each other and saying, that's not how this was supposed to go. Mordecai himself is sitting in sackcloth or mourning clothes in the city square. And when Esther hears about this, she sends someone to find out what's going on. Now, she hadn't heard about the law yet. So Mordecai sends her a copy and asks her to please, please appeal to the king, since it is her own people and herself who are in danger. Now, this sounds like a reasonable request, right? But it's actually very serious. In this day and age, no one appears before the king unless he summons them. Now, there's a small chance that he'll pardon you for the interruption by extending his gold scepter and allowing you to speak. But otherwise, the punishment is death. And at the time that Mordecai asks Esther to do this, the king hasn't called for her in a month. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't sound to me like a guy who's likely to extend his scepter if he hasn't even bothered to see or talk to his queen in the last 30 days. My husband doesn't talk to me for 30 days. He doesn't get a scepter either. 
<laughs> so I don't blame her for saying no. But hear how Mordecai responds in Esther 4, 13 and 14. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Now Mordecai hits the nail on the head for every single moment throughout this whole process where Esther has been shaking her head and saying that's not how this was supposed to go. Something greater is going on in the midst of Esther's life that she isn't seeing because of where her focus is. She was plucked from relative obscurity, favored by the attendants prepping her for the king, especially favored by the king, to the point of being crowned queen, a Jewish orphan crowned queen, so that she could be in the right place at the right time to intercede for her people. You ever stop to think that when we look at our lives and say, that's not the way this was supposed to go, God is watching over us and saying, but just wait and see what I can do here. Now, I'll spare you all the nail-biting. Esther agrees to go to the king, and he extends his scepter to her, saying that anything she asks is hers, even up to half the kingdom. So she invites him to dinner. After hosting both the king and Haman for a series of banquets, she finally brings up that Haman's law is about her people and begs the king to help her save them. And he does. Esther may have spent years thinking, that's not how this was supposed to go. But we as scripture readers can see the truth, that God is sovereign and wants us to trust that he is working even when life doesn't make sense. Now, most of us probably won't end up marrying into royalty and being called on to step up and save our people, which is probably a good thing. I think Britain is out of eligible royals for a while anyway. Thanks, Megan. But we do all face difficult choices, hard times, pain. Relationships break down. Loved ones get sick, even die. You lose a job. You're raising a family on your own. A pandemic hits, and the entire world is thrown into economic and political turmoil. And when these things happen, when life doesn't make sense, where are we putting our focus and therefore our faith? Do we focus on the situation or do we focus on God? Where's our trust in these shaky moments? Is it in the job or a partner or the dollar amount in our bank accounts? Those things are finite. They're going to fail you every single time. 
Do we get mired in the situation and say, well, that's not how this was supposed to go? Too scared to act like Esther was at first? Or do we turn our focus instead to God, who is working even when life doesn't make sense? Now, it's hard to do. I get it. I am definitely guilty myself of getting mired in the situation first and turning to God second. Esther did it too. Her first instinct was to focus on her situation and tell Mordecai all the reasons why going to the king was a bad idea. Now, fortunately, he was able and willing to speak truth into Esther's life, to be real and challenge her to see beyond where she was to the bigger picture. Being part of a faith community, whether that's here at Mosaic, in a growth group, with an accountability partner or a spiritual advisor, that helps us grow by surrounding us with people who can challenge us in love and help us put our trust in God to work in our situations even when life doesn't make sense. Looking back at all the stories that pastors Jason and Nick have shared throughout this whole series, we can see there where God was working in situations that didn't make sense. We see in Esther's story that nothing that happened was truly coincidental. God's sovereignty and faithfulness were on display. When events seemed out of control for Esther and Mordecai, when the king decreed attack and ruin on the Jewish people, when Xerxes could kill Esther just for daring to show up in front of him, when it looked like evil was going to triumph, God was at work. God protected and honored his chosen people through a courageous act Esther could only perform because she, a Jewish orphan girl, had been raised up to marry a foreign king and be crowned queen. Through it all, Esther may have been saying, that's not how this was supposed to go. But her story shows that God was still working even when life didn't make sense. I would bet many of us in this room and watching online can look back at something in our lives that looked like it was going totally off the rails where we expected it to go. But now that we can see the experience in hindsight, it's clear that God was up to something. At the same time, there are things that happen in our lives and we don't ever get to see or understand what God was up to this side of eternity. Life's experiences don't always tie up in a neat bow like Esther's did, and it's okay to struggle with that. I know I do. Yet scripture tells us that we can still trust that God is in control even when we can't see or understand. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reminds us, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Most of us can put a finger on a situation that right now has us saying, that's not how this was supposed to go. Where's your focus? 
Is it on your situation? Or is it on God? Instead of putting trust in the finite things that fail us, jobs, money, the whims of an earthly king, let's instead make the choice to trust God, considering that perhaps we were made for just such a time as this. God uses the circumstances of our lives, managing and directing them for his glory. Just like Esther, your position in life right now, today, gives you a unique opportunity to serve God. Let's embrace those opportunities instead of saying, that's not how this was supposed to go. If only things were different. Let's begin to shift our focus from the situation that we cannot control to the one who controls the universe. It's as easy as beginning with a simple prayer. God, show me how I can use my situation today for just such a time as this. Connect with a growth group or a spiritual advisor who can walk with you and help you redirect your focus when those hard situations come. And be encouraged by Esther's story that God is sovereign and wants us to trust that he is working even when life doesn't make sense, by placing our focus on him. I'm probably never going to walk out of a movie theater after seeing a treasured book put into film and go, oh my gosh, it was exactly like the book. I'm probably more likely to still be shaking my head and going, well, that's not how it was supposed to go. And despite being able to look back on our lives and see specific examples where even though life was not making sense at the time, now we can see how God was working. There will still probably be times in life when we'll sit in the middle of the chaos and confusion and say, that's not how this was supposed to go. It's okay to feel like that. It's okay to be afraid of the next step, whether it's risking your life to walk into a king's chamber or wondering how you'll afford groceries this week. But at the same time, I challenge you to remember Esther. Remember that she was put into the midst of a situation that she never would have dreamed of so that she could be in the position to serve God and save the Jewish people. Let's turn our eyes and our hearts to our sovereign God who is at work, even when life doesn't make sense, and pray, God, show me how I can use my situation today for just such a time as this. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.